Well, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we talk about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined once again by the sage. That's what we call him around here. <laughs> it's my dad, John Bruce. Dad, how are you doing? I feel like rosemary in time. <laughs> like a sage. You feel like a sage. It's good on pork. <laughs> Dad, how are you? I'm doing well. Good. good Tomorrow's day. a big day for you, isn't it? That's right. It's our 43rd anniversary. 43. Thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. <laughs> doing what I can. Well, today we continue our series on the habits of healthy community. The habits of healthy community. The church is not a what. It is not a provider of religious goods and services. It's not an event you attend once a week. It's not a building. It's not even a 501c3 nonprofit organization. No, the church is not a what, it's a who. The church is the people of God. The late, great John Stott said it this way, that the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. Hmm. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose, conceived in past eternity, being worked out in history, and to be perfected in a future eternity, is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church, that is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. And I'd like to highlight that last sentence. God's redemptive purpose is not simply to save isolated individuals. God saves us to be a people, a community. We belong to each other, Paul says, which means our life in Christ, our eternal life, is a shared life. We share time, resources. We share in suffering. We share the gospel, and we share in future glory. And that means that a solitary, isolated Christian is an oxymoron. We are saved together. So it is critical we get these relationships right within the body of Christ. So how do we do that? How do we help cultivate healthy community? That's what we're talking about for the next few weeks. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul gives us a blueprint for the habits of healthy community, and we're going to work through this passage slowly over the next few episodes. So yeah, last week we looked at the foundational habit of healthy community, which is seeing our need for others. And, and as Paul says, that the, the first manifestation of a mind renewed by the gospel will be this sort of recalibration of the way we view other Christians. The gospel changes the way we think about each other, and we see our need for each other. So that's the foundational habit of thinking. I need to recognize my need for you and other Christians. But second, I need to recognize your need and the community's need for me. Right. That's what Paul goes on to, to really expand on in Romans 12, 6 through 8. So I'm going to read this, and then you're going to talk about it, okay? <laughs> okay. Okay. Paul goes on after talking about God placing us in the body. He says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Dad, what, uh, what strikes you? about Paul's description of the body here, and, and how does it relate to recognizing the community's need for me? I, I think Paul is addressing 
two things that militate against community here. First, as we talked about last week, is thinking too highly of yourself. Yeah. Thinking that you are all you need. Mm-hmm. But on the other, you can also think too lowly of yourself. Yeah. And to think that I'm not necessary, that nobody needs me. Um, nobody will notice if I'm there or not. And and I think what Paul wants to remind us is that, that we are like a physical body. That yeah. uh, uh, my body would be bad off without my eye, but my eye would be worse off without my body. <laughs> and... Uh, and all of us play different roles. All of us uh, have different functions, and and none of us have all the gifts. And so we are dependent on each other uh, to become what God wants us to be. It's good. Yeah, I, I the body analogy is so striking because if one part of your body, one little part of your body, is functioning improperly, your whole body is affected by that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you ever had to try to have a conversation while trying to get rid of a hangnail? (laughs) It's impossible. Your entire body is focused on just removing the hangnail until it's done. That's right. And uh, so, so even the the littlest, most seemingly insignificant part have a have a dramatic effect on the whole. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's what Paul says in in First Corinthians twelve, that God has um, constructed the body. So there might not be any division, but all the members would have the same care for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, God has put each of us in his body, made all of us necessary, mm-hmm. and made us to need all of us. Yeah. And, and that we only function correctly when we're in this together. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a very different way of viewing community because it um, it cuts against the grain of the way I think we usually conceive of going to church, or or thinking even about our need for community, right? When we think about community, we again start with the consumer lens of, okay, the church is a provider of religious goods and services, and even if I say, yes, I need, I see my need for community, it's because community is good for me. Yeah. (laughs) Right? That's that's where we start, is is that this is good for me, this will help my spiritual growth, Um, but this is a very different approach, because it's it's not a, a consumer approach to community, um, which even after the last episode, I think someone could shoehorn that understanding into what we we said, or, right, um, or what we said into that understanding. This is not consumeristic. This is more of a covenantal understanding of community, where hmm. I have a obligation to these people, and so when I don't show up, it's not just about damaging me. It's about hurting them yeah. in some way, yeah. that, that my neglect of Christian community impacts every other member of the church. And I think that is a very un-Western, yeah. <laughs> non-consumeristic way of looking at, at community. Um, and yet it's a very dignifying way of looking at community because you really see, wow, other people need me just as much as I need them. Yeah, no, no useless members. Mm-hmm. There's every, every person plays an essential part for the uh, for us to get where we need to go, yeah, and become what we need to be, right. And uh, one of the things that I failed to do as a leader, I I kind of bought into the rugged individual leader as hero for a long time, and thought mm-hmm. that I had to be able to be omnicompetent and do everything better than everybody else to be the leader, right. And the thing that I've I've wa- as I've watched really good leaders, the best leaders I see are people who are very humble, 
Mm-hmm. And, and they realize that there's lots of stuff that people can do better than them. Yeah. So they surround themselves with people who are actually better than they are at certain things. And, and so that the team becomes so much healthier and so much better just because there's people there that can all do different things well. Yeah. And, and everybody's weaknesses are, are kind of covered that way. Right. So it's, 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 it's really understanding that we're very unique and it's being comfortable in being unique and that you've been made unique for the benefit of other people rather than comparing yourself with other people and saying, well, why are they more like this than I am or why am I less like this than they are Right. and, and making it a competition? Yeah, the differences are strengths. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good that the body is, is not the same, yeah, right? Exactly. As, as Paul says, if all were an eye, you'd have a giant eye bouncing down the street. Exactly. Not very effective. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah and, and I think if we think of um, analogies for the body of Christ, and you mentioned team, I think it's important to flesh out what kind of team it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because if, you, if the church is a track team, then basically we're all still siloed, and we've got our individual events. And, and as long as I'm awesome at my individual skills, then the team gets the most points and wins. Right, right. But, but if the church is more like a basketball team, where every position, there are different strengths, but there's much more fluidity to the play, Yeah. Um, yeah. then if I don't show up for the game... You're really missed. We're really missed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas a track meet or even a swim meet, right, you just think, well, you can lose a few people on the team, and as long as the, the top performers are there, you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. As long as, you, as your, your high point people are there, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll do fine in the meet. Right. But that doesn't work that way with team sports. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at it, basketball is a good analogy, football, ba- baseball, any of those. Right. Uh, the best outfielders are not necessarily good infielders. Yeah. Uh, the best pitchers are not necessarily good hitters. We, right. we need we need everybody. Yeah. And I, I think the same thing. I, I think of a, and we and we can talk in a minute about how you actually go about finding your, your gifting and as Paul lists here some of the some of the spiritual gifts right. and how they're to, to work. But I, I think it's simply like uh, if if your small group was gonna do some kind of an outreach, a, a social, yeah, uh, and you were gonna bring unbelieving friends to to experience that. There's going to be certain people who are really good at just being welcoming. Yeah. They, they really know how to create a welcoming environment. They, they may not be able to explain their faith very well, but they are really good at welcoming people. Yeah. And there are other people who are good at organization and just getting everybody, every slot filled. And right. seeing what needs to happen to get from A to, a to Z. And there's going to be other people who are very good at explaining their faith. They're just... Yep. They're able to articulate clearly the faith, and there's other people there um, who are just great at making cookies, or, yep. or great, great at, or at food, or different. Right. Things. But the point is, no one person in that group can produce a great event by themselves. You, yeah. you need everybody and, and their strengths to, to produce the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this all seems pretty intuitive when we talk about it, but why do you think that the church often doesn't function this way? What, what are the barriers to thinking this way, right? Like, um, because I think that this isn't where most people's starting point is for thinking about Christian communities. Oh, yeah, we're like an interdependent team. We all need to move together. 
I think a couple things. One is we're not playing the same game. Hmm. Um, we're not getting together to compete. We're not getting together for God's mission in the world. We're just we're kind of getting together to, because we know the Bible says we should get together. But there's not a purpose in it right. of of really reaching the world and deci- making new disciples of Jesus. So that's one thing. Yeah, um, yeah. We we get together to learn, not to obey. Exactly. Which leads to a second one. There are some gifts that are platformed and in the in in the body mm-hmm. people who can speak for example or yeah. people who can perform or people music or or things like that um, there are other gifts that are completely not platforms so people who have those gifts don't see how they they fit in so we don't we haven't really organized i think as a church around the mission and we haven't organized around the different roles that each person plays that are all essential to that mission yeah, that, that point is key because particularly in the West, uh, it is such a Sunday-centric model of church, and, and even the assumption of ministry philosophy is that you build the church out of Sunday mornings. That right. That's the core of what you do. Yeah. And we saw how that works out during COVID, yeah. <laughs> that when you lose that, um, you, you depending on how much you've discipled and equipped your people, you, you actually kind of lose the church yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you haven't really focused on this interdependent body life um, component. But I think that, that when that is the image of leadership that is conveyed, then you need a stage to be a leader. Yeah. Right? You need a stage to be a contributor. And um, I, I think that assumption is deeply ingrained within the church in America. So that the most important people are the people who get up and talk. Yeah. Um, and they're the most necessary. Yeah. Um, I remember in high school, we did a, a spiritual gifts inventory, which I have opinions about, but I won't get into those now. But what was interesting to me is, you know, we're supposed to ask to discover our spiritual gift, and there's like 20 people there, and 17 of the people, do you know what their number one gift was, according to them? What? Teaching. (laughs) Over 75% said, yeah, I'm a communicator. And it just, you know, even in high school, I thought, you know, James 3, not many of you should be teachers, for you will incur a stricter judgment. This is this is probably not an accurate representation of what's in the room. So what's happening there? Well, I think at some level what's happening there is that people see teaching as the most important thing you can do. Yeah. Therefore, I have the gift of teaching. Yeah, I must be a teacher because I want to I be up front. Yeah, I because wanna, I want to be a leader. I want to be a leader, And, and yeah. I define leadership uh, in terms of having a stage and being a communicator. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that brings up the, the question of, of it, Paul seems to assume that people in the body know what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And his basically what he's saying here is he's saying if you're a teacher, then teach. If you're an encourager, then encourage. If, yeah. you're, if you're if you're if you show mercy, we'll get out there and show mercy. It's just there's kind of an assumption that everybody in the early church seemed to know what to do. What they were what their contribution was. That's not true today. So, you know, what would you say? How would pe- how can people find out what God's made them to do? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to disagree with the vast majority of Christians on this. Okay. And I'm pretty confident I'm right, because I've thought a lot about this, and uh, I'm deeply influenced by my mentor, Ken Birding, who's thought as much about spiritual gifts as anybody, but I hopefully this is helpful in, in seeing, um, and not that there's no truth in the conventional view of spiritual gifts, but I, I'd like to give a different take on how to discover your spiritual gifts in that whole question. When the Bible uses that term gift, charismata, grace, there is a word concept confusion that I think happens when it gets translated into English. We hear the word gift and we think of giftedness, Hmm. right? Um, 
And so if someone says, you have a spiritual gift that's been given to you by God, we think of a gifted athlete, a right. gifted musician. Right. Um, so then the assumption is that a gift is this latent ability in me, right? That I have this, this ability, and there are natural gifts, and then there are spiritual gifts, and they're kind of like my spiritual superpowers. But here's the problem. I have to discover them. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And so now, okay, God, show me what my spiritual superpower is in a way. The, the problem with that, there's a few problems. One, that word gift, when it's used in the New Testament, it never clearly refers to simply a latent ability, like giftedness. Mm -hmm. A gift, I think a much better definition would be something like a ministry. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So when God gives you a gift, God is giving you an assignment. Paul calls the gift in verse 4 a function in the body. Mm-hmm. And so what he's focused on is the ministry itself, not the internal giftedness to do the ministry. Do you, do you see the distinction between those two? Yeah. Now, the assumption is that you will have the giftedness, that God will give you the strength uh, to do that thing. Um, but the focus is on the ministry function itself. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. What that means, then, is this. When we think about spiritual gifts, I would say the first step to figuring out what I should do in the body is not to look inside myself. It's to look at the body and what it needs. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, it's not to say, what's my spiritual superpower? Because as we've seen, discovering spiritual gifts, the Bible never tells you how to discover your spiritual gift, for one thing. Two, our views of our gifts are slanted. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. What I would say a much better way of discovering our function in the body, our ministry, is to say, God, show me what bothers me about my church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What area of weakness is there in my community group? Maybe we don't pray enough. Maybe we're not generous enough. Maybe our community's not tight enough. Maybe we're not hospitable. Maybe we're not missional. Okay, whatever that pain point is for you, I think that's the calling of God uh, for you to go address and fill in that gap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Second, I would say, what do other people say your ministry is? Yeah. I would look at the external calling. Because I don't know about you, and I'd actually I'd like be interested to get your, your take on this. In my life... Most of the things I've felt called to in ministry are not things I initially wanted to do. Mm. They are things that other people affirmed and spoke into me and called me to do. Mm. More of an Acts 13, you know, the Church of the Antioch, the Spirit says to them, set apart Paul and, Paul and Barnabas for this ministry. Yeah. Right? So I, I didn't want to work with middle schoolers, uh, you know, in college. And I, I still don't particularly... <laughs> I love you middle schoolers. I just don't feel called to that ministry. And yet, that's what I got called to. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a great, fruitful season of ministry, and I actually learned to love doing it. As you know, I didn't want to be the pastor here. I wanted to plant a church, and and I thought I had the spiritual gift of church planting or something like that. And my wife, for years, said, no, you don't. <laughs> and I don't think that's your calling. And so what did it take? It took being responsive to the external call of ministry yeah. rather than internal giftedness. So I will digress from there. But... Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Has that jived with your own experience? Any other thoughts? I, I think so. I, I think um, you do have the gift of being right, so I think that's... Uh, <laughs> so that jives, but... Uh, and humility. And maybe, I, maybe I've veered too much yeah. on thinking too highly of myself in this last answer, but... Uh, but I do think... I think gifts are given by God to meet a need. And so it makes sense to me that if you have a gift in an area, you are most sensitive to that particular need. Yeah, if that's the ministry you're being called to do, yeah. that's what you will see. You will see the lack of that need being met. Right. And, and you can either be critical and say, well, the church should, 
or say, hmm, God must be calling me to step in, step in and do something here, which right. is a much more positive and, and fulfilling way to handle needs. It just means you're, you're needed, so, so get going. And I, I kind of think the other thing is that, is that gifts are only found through being in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not like, I, it's like I, sometimes I talk to parents about sports for their kids, and they want to know what sport to get my kid in. And I just say, let them try a lot of stuff. Yeah, because the more sports they play, they're going to find they gravitate towards some and and not not toward others. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing is true in ministry. I think that the more you get involved in ministering wherever there's a need, just don't worry about gifts. Just where there's a need, jump in. You will find there are certain things you do that seem to have a greater effect, more fruitfulness, more fruitfulness than other things you do. You'll also find you like to do certain things more than right. you like to do others. And it's kind of a, I, I heard somebody uh, explain gifts as what you can do with the minimum of effort, with the maximum of effect, mm-hmm. and the maximum of joy. And, yeah. and I know that's that was true for me. I When I started having opportunities to teach um, in, in ministry, I was a horrible teacher. Mm-hmm. But I really liked doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked studying. I really liked preparing. I really, I really wanted people to know what the Bible taught right. about certain things. And it, and it really wasn't anything, I don't think it was so much about having a, an audience or having a platform to be noticed, um, but it really was, I wanted people to understand the Bible. Yeah. And then the more I did it, the more the better I got at it. Right. And the more the church affirmed your calling to do that. Exactly. That this is the ministry you're called to do. Exactly. But they can't affirm your calling if they don't see you doing anything. No. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's the the dead end of looking at spiritual gifts as sort of latent abilities. Yeah. That you have this thing you've never done that you're really good at. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't true of anything. Yeah. Right? You might have a natural ability to be better at certain things. I mean, you do, but but you only learn through doing. Yeah. And and so that's what's so liberating about the ministry approach is don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't assume you know what you're you're gifted, quote-unquote, to do in the body. Think of it as, no, God has given me a ministry to do in this body, and if I don't do it, then the whole body suffers. And so now, what do I see when I look at the body? What, what blind spots? Where do I see lack? And now, that is my opportunity not to go to leadership and say, you should do something about this. Yeah, exactly. It's my opportunity to say, hey, I'd love to contribute in this area. Yeah. And, and don't Here's another thing. Don't come with your plan to improve it. Just start working in it. Yeah. Just start improving it. Just start doing it. And then you will have the credibility to say, hey, I've been working in this for a while. I have some ideas on how to improve it. And I'll tell you, any leader will be very receptive to what you have to say, any good leader yeah. there. But if you just come in with your theory, um, uh, you know, ideas are cheap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, too, once you, once you have an idea of how the Spirit of God works through you, yeah. For the benefit of the body. Yeah. Focus on that. Yeah. Um, don't try to be the jack of all trades. Don't try to jump into every need you see. But if once God shows you what, how he works through you, yeah. then spend your time on that. Right. Because that's what's going to bear the most fruit, and that's what he's made you to do. And I think that's why in this, this passage we looked at, mm-hmm. it is, it is uh, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, and so then he lists some of the mm-hmm. some of those um, gifts. And so, but but if you're a prophet, then 
focus on prophesying. If, yeah. If you're a leader, focus on leadership. Yeah, I would have a little different take on the syntax of this verse, and I won't get into the deep weeds there because we'll lose, mm-hmm. you know, the three people who are listening to this. But uh, no, I, I I think that Paul's point is there that there that the gift differs from the others. That's the point is that it's a that that if you have that ministry of leadership, it differs significantly from these other gifts. So I I agree that 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 thing you're doing, lean into that. Yeah, and don't become a, a generalist necessarily. Right. Um, because this is your unique contribution to the the body of Christ. I, I want to circle back to something else you said, um, and, and this is my last thought, but if you have other last thoughts, feel free to give them. Uh, what you said earlier about um, groups needing to be in the game to discover this is so critical. And, and the analogy I thought of is, you know, it's sort of like going over the playbook all week, and then you show up to the field, and, and and you're ready to run a play, and you never do. Yeah. And then you just go back into the huddle. Yeah. And, yeah. and talk about the game plan, and then you go out in formation like you're going to do something, and then you just go back into the huddle. You never figure this stuff out unless you do something. Yeah. And so, if if you feel as a community group leader like the people in your group are underutilized, don't tell them to discover their gift. Just say we're gonna we're gonna do something together. We're gonna serve in this way together. We're gonna um, do this outreach, and then you will start to see the different gifts, the different the different ministries that are in your in your group manifest. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and if your group feels boring, this is probably why, because at some point you got to stop reading the playbook and want to play. Yeah, yeah. And I think this isn't a a perfect um, thing at all. You, you have to try stuff, and you have to fail, and you have to absolutely. We, we, we learn by doing. Yep. And and you have to give yourself room to learn. I, I think a lot of a lot of kids never learn sports yeah. because they want to do it perfectly the first time they they take the field, mm-hmm. and they're not willing to go through the training and the practice and the clumsiness, and and the mistakes and and all these things that to get them to a point where they really enjoy the sport because nobody starts off great. Um, it's just and and that's the same thing true in ministry that we're all fumblers bumblers but. Our dependence is on the Spirit of God working through us in spite of our weaknesses, in mm-hmm. spite of our mistakes. And so you've got to have enough humility and faith to be able to look, be willing to look like a fool for Jesus' sake and just get out and try something and see what Christ will do through you. Yeah, success is just being willing to fail one more time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Just showing up. It's just, yeah, just showing up and, and trying something. Now... That's that's really good. Any other thoughts on this? That's it. Cool. Well, well, thanks, uh, Dad, and Thank hopefully you, for you listeners, this has encouraged you to look at the body that you belong to, whether in your community group or the the larger body, and and just ask the question: What needs do I see? What what things bug me? And then what am I willing to do to help to to make this body flourish in this area? And then go do it and yeah. see what the Spirit of God does. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Dad. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. 